John, how are you doing? Jason, how are you doing? Hey, Jason. Can't see, every, can't see everybody yet, but okay. <laughs> oh, we're getting a few raindrops here in Elk Grove. Oh, are you? It's a little cloudy Thank over you. here, too. Thank oh. you, Chair. Okay. We, right. Well, I think we, we call the meeting to order, if I'm correct. Are we, are we good to go? Yes, Chair. Thank you. We are online. Okay. All right. I can see everybody now. All right. We're going to call the meeting to order uh, on this day on, on November 18th. Um, may we have a roll call, please? Yes. Thank you, Chair. Members, if you have not yet, please unmute and turn on your cameras. Board member Colville? Here. Board member Holm? Here. Vice Chair Bader? Try to get Jason. I do see, it looks like you're muted, but I do see um, Vice Chair in the Zoom. And Chair Leon? Uh, present. Thank you. We have quorum. Perfect. Jason, you might have audio issues because, yeah, it shows that you're not uh, uh, muted, but can uh, we, can, we can hear you now. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's quite all right. All right. Um, so the next item on the agenda is the uh, consent calendar items one through five, if I'm correct. We'll need a motion and a second on that. A motion. Approval. Second. All right. Um, correct me, Madam Clerk, is do we ask for comments now, public comments, or do you do a, do a vote? I forgot the procedure. Um, we'll do that before the vote. And for the record, there are no members of the public with their hands raised. And we can proceed. Okay. We can proceed with the I'm vote. Sorry. I have a motion Perfect. by uh, Board Member Holm and a second by Vice Chair Bader. Board Member Colville? Aye. Board Member Holm? Aye. Vice Chair Bader? Yes. And Chair Leon? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. All right. Perfect. We are going to go on to the discussion calendar now. Item number six, which is a quarterly investment report uh, from Stacy. I don't see a Christmas tree behind you, Stacy. What's going on here? <laughs> I'm, I'm a little behind this year. I'm sorry to disappoint you. All right. Well, well the floor or the, the, the Zoom is yours. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. So I'm gonna actually be making comments from the Siegel report today. Craig is actually not here. He is traveling to Mexico to compete in the Ironman triathlon. So we moved his formal report to consent and mine is referencing our internal report, but since his has a lot more detail, I'm gonna go ahead and take this time to just um, highlight about six or seven of his slides. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to jump in and I will hopefully keep the screen sharing. It kept crashing on me earlier. So the first thing I just wanted to note was just the overall economy in the first quarter of the fiscal year. The fund itself was flat and we'll get to the returns in just a minute, but mostly what was weighing on the economy was inflation concerns. Um, we're all hearing about the supply chain issues and it was really the first full quarter we saw that we didn't have a lot of stimulus money out there in the economy possibly artificially pumping things up. So across the board, markets were flat to negative. 
overall. Um, and it's for in the first time in about uh, 16 months since we've seen that. Um, so it wasn't just us that was negative for the quarter. It was really everything pretty much across the board. So moving on to the allocation on the fund, we really didn't see a lot of movement over the quarter and we would really expect that because there wasn't a lot of market movement to sway things one way or another. We did have a couple million dollars come out of operating, but other than that, allocations were very flat. Um, and we do see that when there's not significant market movements to pull one asset class up or one asset class down. So, so Stacey, yeah. back, to, back to that, what was the $8 million uh, difference? Was it just, was it money out of the operating account or was it actually capital depreciation? So it's a combination. If you look okay. on the bottom line, the operating cash went from 7.9 million down to 5.9 million. Okay. So about, looks like about a little over, about 2 million was that. And then the rest will be the depreciation because- Yeah, I the, see 4 million in large cap. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So from the weightings perspective, nothing changed too drastically. Um, and again, when you see a market that doesn't move much, you wouldn't expect the weightings to move much in the different asset classes. Um, again, as John pointed out, um, overall we were down and you can see pretty clearly on here that 0.6% of that was the operating fund shrinking. So the majority of it is due to ongoing costs. And of course, as you all know, we're constantly raising funds for the operating account. As of right now, we are actually fully funded and operating through February of 2022. So we won't really be having to be four sellers in the next two to three months. So we did um, do some funding during the last quarter. And now I'm gonna go to the page that everybody likes to look at. So the returns for the quarter. So as I mentioned, our fund was down. We turned in a quarterly performance number of negative 0.5% overall. And versus our custom benchmark, it was negative 0.5%. So we were spot on with that. Although we obviously didn't hit our actuarial assumption. Now on this report, this, this report was done by Siegel prior to the Bartell reports coming out, which is, she'll get to, Mary Beth, I think we'll get to later. We're gonna move from 6.5 to 6%. So all of these reports are gonna um, be referring to 6.5%, but I will check in with Craig and have him update these going forward so that it's always referencing the 6%. Um, the three year and five year, as you can see, even with a down quarter are still over 10% as an average. So I just think that's a really phenomenal number and it's really, one of the main reasons why our funding status, which Bartel will talk about, is now based on market value at 110% and based on the smooth value, just under 100%. So just year after year, phenomenal returns have really allowed us to um, be right where we wanna be with funding. And I know that Bartel's gonna spend a lot of time on this today, so I won't steal their thunder. But overall, um, I just wanted to say that while we did see a negative return for the first quarter, October, we really saw a turnaround in the markets. And through the end of October, the unofficial number for SCURS is uh, plus 3.3%. So we're talking about a 400 basis point turnaround in one month from what we booked for the end of September. So if things stay status quo for the next six to seven weeks, I would fully expect that our second quarter number that we'll see on these reports will be, we'll switch over to a positive number. So are there any questions on this page? 
move on here. So I just wanted to talk about where our risk is as we go forward in this market. This slide is an overall domestic equity risk on the portfolio. And as you can see, the domestic equity composite, which is our funds, are less risky than the domestic equity index that were benchmarked again. However, if we look at the pure S&P, we are taking a little more risk. But I just wanted to caution that these, these graphs are skewed because of how tight all of the axis numbers are. So although it looks like we're taking a lot more risk overall than the S&P, it really is a third of one standard deviation. So it, it can look alarming that we're taking a lot more risk from the S&P, but we're truly not. It's really just a factor of how tight everything is to the benchmarks right now. So we can see exactly what that breakdown is on the domestic equities on the next slide. So you can see all of our risk pretty much in all of the SCURS portfolios in the large cap portfolio. So large cap growth is about 0.5 of one standard deviation, uh, more risky than the S&P, which is the large cap index. And as a result, that fund did underperform for the quarter. And we would fully expect that. Large cap growth has had a, an overweight to technology for years and it has really helped us outperform but in a market where large cap tech is is getting hit we're obviously going to underperform um, the difference is is in the equity income fund we're taking less risk so the two portfolios really offset each other and that's you know really comes back to what we talk about diversifying and having different portfolios and when we roll up we still remain flat so great outperformance on equity income underperformance on large cap equaled a flat return for the domestic equities overall. So this is the equity income. And here you can see that we're taking much less risk than the actual index. And in a market where risk is getting punished, we were able to outperform because we had less risk on in this portfolio. So any questions on those two? Okay. Move on here to fixed income. So on the fixed income portfolio, right slide. I just wanted to point out that we are long duration and long maturity to the benchmark. And it sounds like it's significant when you look at the numbers up on the top of the chart, but I just wanted to point out if you can see at the bottom, I keep going to point to my screen, but you guys can't see what I'm pointing at. Um, at the bottom, the majority of our fund is in the seven to 10 year bucket, which is, significant more than the benchmark. The benchmark's main holding is in the three to five year bucket. So although we're long duration and long maturity, it's not that we have a ton in the 20, 30 year bucket. It's just that we have a lot more in the seven to 10 year bucket right now. And we just actually found out that we have 5 million of bonds being called December 1st, which is five, over 5% 5 of the portfolio. So once again, we're gonna to have to put that money back to work. Although I am very optimistic that we'll be able to put it back to work at rates higher than we would have even six months ago. The 20 and 30 year bonds have really been on a tear about the last six weeks and we've seen um, rates really start to tick up. So I'm hopeful we can reinvest those at, at better proceeds than we would have been able to. Um, and another thing that is interesting is that as Bartel's going to mention with our funded status, which I've alluded to, is this may be the first time in, well, since I've been here, that 
we will probably be talking in the spring on our asset allocation report about perhaps moving some of the funds, um, shifting them away from equities and maybe adding a little bit to this fixed portfolio as we take a more conservative approach as a result of how well-funded the plan is at this point. So that's all I really had on the actual returns. Um, are there any questions? All okay. right, and then we'll, let me get out of uh, my full screen view here so I can look at the agenda okay. really quick. I'm sorry, I'm seeing here. Um, all right, and we need a motion to accept uh, the quarterly investment report. So we'll need a motion in the second. I'll make a motion to accept it. I'll second. Okay, so we have a motion in the second. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any public comments on this item? There are no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment. Thank you. All right, then we can call a vote on this one. Thank you. I have a motion by board by Vice Chair Bader and a second by Board Member Colville. Board Member Colville? Yes. Board Member Holm? Yes. Vice Chair Bader? Yes. And Chair Leon? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. All right, now we're on to item number seven. Mary Beth with the. Uh, well, I don't want to try and pronounce that, but you know what I'm talking about for item seven. GASB, GASB, GASB? Is that what you call it? Yes, it is. <laughs> you okay. might have some We're feedback. We're trying to share a so, screen. <laughs> there you go. Um, and if it's okay, um, Mr. Chairman, what we would like to do is switch the order of the um, items, can we do the, the regular valuation first and then pick up the Gatsby report second? Uh, sure, we'll just make an announcement right now really quick. So we're gonna go out of order and we're gonna go on to item eight and then proceed on to item seven. So right now we're currently on item eight or we'll be on uh, item eight. Great, thank you. Okay, so um, now that Stacy gave most of our presentation, we're gonna let Deanna <laughs> come back and <laughs> Uh, give you some of the details. You stole my thunder. <laughs> so nice sorry. To, to give great, great news, which is what you have, obviously. Um, sure. So I'm going to share the dashboard. Did you folks get that? And this was the supplemental material. Was that what this was? I think yes. it was. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. The supplemental material. Yes. The first page should look like this. Uh, we're in full screen now, so I'm looking at yours, but I do, I did, we did receive the supplemental, so. Okay, uh, okay. okay, so the um, first page gives a nice little summary of last year's valuation versus this year's valuation, and first let's look at the funded status. The accrued liability went from almost 300 million down to 282.4 million, uh, the actual value of assets increased um, from 266.6 million to 275.7 million for a funded ratio of just under 100%. On a market value basis, um, you are more than fully funded. You have an overfunded liability of about 28.8 million and 110% funded. And the reason for this is for setting um, contributions, we use a smoothed asset value. 
because we don't we want to smooth out the worst bumps in the road as the investments you know have a good year a bad year a good year a bad year we're trying to smooth the worst of that out there's a three-year smoothing so we're only recognizing a third of the big gain that came in this year and deferring two more years worth of that gain into the future to apply to the future actuarial value um, the number of plan members you only have three active members remaining your retirees your inactives including your uh, few terminated vested members is actually decreasing at this point the plan is past um, past the point where it's growing and the number of people retiring are no longer replacing the number of people who are dying as far as the retirees go and you're going to see that group continue to get smaller and I think the age will continue, the average age will continue to grow, go up a little bit as well, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, the recommended city contributions for the future are sitting at zero for the next three years um, with the current overfunded status. Um, again, let me highlight the investment earnings on a market value basis. Last year, the fund only earned 2.8%. This year, 29.2, yet a stellar year. Um, even with the smoothing, the actuarial value was 13.5% return, uh, even though what we expect is a 6.5% return. Uh, we're going to cover the accounting information briefly in that report in the next agenda item. And with that, I'd like to just take a brief look at some of the graphs on the next couple of pages of the dashboard. How do I turn it? Scroll it. Okay. Okay, so the first graph is just a historical look at the member counts and payroll. The height of each bar represents the counts of participants in the plan. And what's now a tiny little blue sliver was your active count. And the green is reflecting your retirees and your beneficiaries. Uh, so you can see again, we're down to three active members, five terminated vested and um, 868 retirees. The payroll, is, which is that red line now hovering at the bottom of the graph is down to roughly 200,000 and it's just gonna continue to get smaller. Um, as far as counts compared to the average age, the average age of your retirees is creeping up slightly even as uh, the population is decreasing. At some point it'll hit sort of a stasis level, you're probably fairly close to it. Um, this is a kind of fun graph. Uh, typically, we don't have plans as mature as your plan. There's, you know, a stable population of active new, you know, new members are being hired. But since your plan is closed, and you haven't had new actives for a very long time, we've actually hit the peak of expected benefit payments, which was Mm, looks like from the graph, maybe around 2016, 2017, and we are definitely on the downhill slope. Now, because it isn't over until the last beneficiary or retiree dies, that's still a long way out in the future. You could have just one or two retirees living a very long time, but as you can see, we're definitely on that downhill slope as far as future projected benefit payments. Uh, this is just a historical look at the investment turn. The blue line, each uh, point on it represents the annual return uh, on market assets. And you can see for 2021, we've added the 29.2% return. 
the sort of pink line is our smoothed actuarial value of assets. And it's doing exactly what we expect it to do. It's smoothing out the worst ups and downs of the market. But even with that, um, we're still at a 13.5% return for uh, 21. And then the green line is representing um, the 6.5% current assumption um, of the discount rate. And you can see it's kind of going right through the middle of it. You know, we're kind of right on it. We're going, sometimes we're above, sometimes we're below, and that's kind of what we want to see. Ian, can I ask you a question? Yes. Can you go back to the prior uh, slide? Yes. So you're looking at 2064 as kind of the, the projected end date. So does that mean there's like 40-year-olds that are currently beneficiaries right now? Is that a, for some of the retirees? Is that why it's the, the lifespan so well, long? Somebody, our uh, mortality probably goes out to about 100. And if it's, say, 2020 now, that's... 40 some odd more years, but you could have some very young um, beneficiaries. Remember you do have um, some people who only retired recently. And if they have a younger spouse, they could easily be in say their early fifties or late forties right now. And we could expect them to hang in there until they're a hundred. Okay. One, one of the issues you will want to think about in another, I don't know, 15 or 20 years is what do we do with the plan when we have, you know, 10 people left who just want to live forever? You know, do we run the plan just for them or do we take some other action? What other action could we take? Um, you could do something like going to an insurance company and buying annuities for them. Um, it's Financially, if you just think about the value of the benefits, it's better to run your plan, but it takes a lot of infrastructure to actually run a plan. And the costs of running it can end up being more than the benefits you're paying for sure. And when you're last down to the last couple people. Well, how do you determine the break even point between whether it's, it's beneficial to keep managing money or is it better off to just do a GIC or a, or a annuity? Um, I think it, it's hard to tell where break even is because it's going to depend a lot on things like interest rates and, um, you know, is it is it like somebody named their newborn baby as their beneficiary so that person is like 30 and we know it's going to be a really long time where we're hanging out with one person or is everybody who's left 105 and we can kind of see the incoming? So a lot's going to depend on how it plays out. So is, not, that something, is that something we can project? I mean, if there's only three active people left and everyone else is locked in their beneficiaries, unless they have, I mean, I'm not aware of the you know, logistics of the plan. Is there supplemental beneficiaries? So if once, if a spouse dies, does it? No, you does, can't replace them. Yeah. So I'm wondering, so we pretty much have the totality of what people's, you know, um, beneficiary plan is, right? So can we, we analyze we that to determine really what, what the real longevity of this thing is? We can analyze that, but it's, at this point, it's all averages. And so we can tell you, you know, given, how many people do they get? 868. Given 868 people, likely there'll be 10 of them left in 2059. But 
a lot of things could happen and it could be three left or it could be three left. Yeah. It's I was just too hard to predict at this yeah. point. I would say you're a little early, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years we could you should really start thinking about this and this was just sort of an early warning. Don, I think that's going to be somebody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not going to be your problem, Don, and it certainly isn't going to be mine. Mine. Jason will still be there. Stacy no, and Jason, not, yeah. 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 No, 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 no. Seven years, seven years. Okay. <laughs> did that answer your question? Yes, Don? it did. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, I was trying to keep rolling through this. Uh, this is just a historic look at um, the asset values going all the way back to 1999. Uh, the blue line again is market and the pink line is actuarial value and the little dotted gold lines are that quarter we keep them. One of the things on our smoothing method is we always wanna make sure we're never straying too far from market, which is why we impose a quarter around the market that the actual value can never exceed. Um, and we're still within the corridor. Um, this, the height of each bar on this graph is the actuarial accrued liability. And you can see it's finally starting to decrease as the plan has hit its majority, uh, as hit its peak. And the blue and pink lines imposed on it are the market assets and the actuarial assets accordingly. And so you can see for the first time in, well, this whole graph is market assets are above the accrued liability indicating you're overfunded and the pink line is almost the actual value is almost at the level of your accrued liability so it's just a different historical look of where you've been because back here you can see you know you still had quite a bit of level of unfunded you know in some of the earlier years and now you know you're overfunded so it's a very happy result this year well, you can see how much it changes because when I started with the city in 2004, we were overfunded. So, yes, you can see the volatility that happens over you know 18 years. You can go from being overfunded to being down in the 80 percent tile back to being overfunded. So, yeah, it's a little amazing to look at these historical charts, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, funded ratios also kind of interesting. Um, back in the late 90s, you were 140% funded, you know, kind of good times back then. And then, you know, after the dot-com bubble, things went down around 0203, and then in 09, the, the recession, things went down even further. The um, funded ratio was, was closer around 70%-ish, and now we're back up into over 100% territory market the blue is market the pink is the actuarial value and we have a couple projections here but again you're staying above the 100 funded um this is a, a very long history of scurs contributions that we pulled numbers out of old historic valuation reports to give you a full picture from 94 to 06 was that huge contribution holiday that had happened and then contributions did need to to be reinstated and now I guess we've come full circle and we're back down to a zero recommended contribution. What's interesting to note is that there's a pepper rule that says, even if you're overfunded, you have to at least pay the normal costs. But with your three remaining actives who are paying a required employee contribution, the amount they're paying actually meets the entire 
normal cost amount and leaving the employer with nothing to pay, which is kind of nice. And then just a list of our uh, methods and assumptions, which will segue us into the next section where Mary Beth talks about some of the changes we made this year okay. that we wanted to highlight for you. I can't, we're doing that next. Can you give me that one? Um, and I'm on page four. Page four. So I'm going to um, just pick a couple highlights out of the funding report and start with um, slide four of it, where we have, just scroll up a little bit, we talk about the risks of the plan. And this is a fairly new requirement. Actuaries are supposed to talk to their um, clients about risks and talk about what we think are the biggest risks of the plan. And for most plans, we're, we're talking about the investment return as really being your biggest risk factor. And, and it is here too. Um, you know, you can see what, what a really good year did, and it's really easy to imagine what a really bad year would have done. So investments are a big concern. Longevity really isn't, you know, when you have a bunch of people who are already average age 80, they don't suddenly live three years longer than projected. Um, so, it'll, you know, you could worry about people living longer than expected, but it's not a really big concern. Um, the other issue we think is something that really um, will take some work on your end is monitoring the cash flows of this plan. Luckily, you pay annuities, their cash flows are pretty um, expected, but you don't have a lot of money coming into the plan going forward, you only have money coming out and just monitoring and managing that as the plan decreases is going to be um, something that's really important. Um, page 10. Page 10. Going fast. So page 10 um, talks about the development of the discount rate. So we did make a fairly big assumption change this year, and it turned out to be a good year to make the change because um, the good news from the assets overweighs everything else. But in keeping with the same kind of analysis CalPERS is doing, um, we look at what um, advisors are saying about what they think about long-term inflation and long-term investment returns. And following that, we dropped our long-term assumption for inflation down to two and a half percent. At the point we did it, we felt like, oh, that's still pretty high. But recent news is, I think, supporting, uh, you know, maybe we ought to be watchful of inflation. Um, and then we also lowered the expected return for various assets. So the... Um, the inflation itself would have pulled the discount rate down 25 basis points. And then we felt the uh, expectation of returns for various asset classes kind of merited another 25 basis point drop in the discount rate. Um, altogether, our modeling would have predicted the most likely discount rate to be 5.88%. We rounded that up to 6%. Um, the plan would have probably been fully funded still if we had used even 5.75 um, and gone down. So, you know, it's pretty solidly well-funded at this point, but we rounded up just because we've always gone to the nearest 25 basis points. Okay, and then I think page 15. 15. Yes, okay. Um, so, Again, Stacy kind of alluded to this. Um, you are in the great position of being fully funded, um, having a closed plan with not a lot of money going into it, not a lot of new, no new employees. So really, you're in a position where uh, 
what you want to do is not lose. Okay. The, if you could outperform the market every single year going forward and, you know, get 20% every year going forward, it's not going to do you any good because the money could just sit there in the trust and you would have to wait till everyone was gone before you could access it. So what you really want to do is not lose what you've got. And one thing you could do since you're in a good position is think about, you know, do we want to move our investments to be a little bit more conservative? So the numbers give you a little bit of guidance here. Um, the middle column shows the valuation results that we've talked about using a 6% discount rate. Um, for comparison, we showed a 5% discount rate. Um, even if you went all the way to 5%, which is probably a much more conservative uh, portfolio than you would consider, the plan is, is underfunded, but not by much. And if you look on a market value basis, it would still be overfunded at 5%. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, just to mention, um, is that in last year's valuation, we had calculated a contribution for this year, a recommended contribution of $3.5 million. So I don't, has that been paid into the trust yet? Um. We budgeted it. I think that I think it goes to the trust monthly on the recurring journal, John. I don't think we transfer that all up front. I'd have to actually look. I, I, I know we budgeted for the whole amount you estimated. I mean, one question I was going to actually ask you, Mary Beth, is with the 5%, did you guys look at what that, what our contribution would be for 22, 23, 24? I see the 22, but... Or it, would, it would stay zero. If we took the discount rate down to five? Um, oh, I'm sorry. It would go it to zero because the reason, if we just look at the liabilities, they're $304 million, um, but we have $311 million of, dollars of assets. The reason it's showing a contribution is because of the smoothing. So after three years, when that gets all, all the, we get back to market value of assets, the contribution would be down to zero. Assuming we don't have some huge Assuming nothing bad happens. <laughs> so even if we chose to go to a 5% discount rate, you would still recommend zero contribution for next year? For next year, we would recommend, I, we would probably want to talk about it because it, a little bit of me is saying, well, yeah, the math comes out to 1.7 million, but if, I'm projecting you being overfunded. Why would you want to do that? Well, so uh, my logic is it's really hard to take something out of our model. And then if something changes, getting, you know, a few million back in is hard. So even by cutting it in half, it's a benefit to the general fund and will give us a little more time to look at what it does. But that's where I'm, those are the conversations I've sort of had with Laney. Assistant City Manager Melstein, and you know we're just trying to figure out, you know, do we fully build it out of the model, and then we have to get it back in there again, like the graph you showed earlier, and that's, you know, or do we put in half and 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 see where we're going at the next time we do the report, and that's where we're kind of trying to figure out what the best approach is. Yeah, if you're. From a budgeting standpoint, if you're used to paying three and a half million dollars and had kind of thought you were going to pay three and a half million for this year, and you have the opportunity to 
um, continue making those payments because it's budgeted and use it to shift and fund more conservative, that's a great long-term strategy. Thoughts, John? Um, I understand your perspective, Don. Um, I know when I, when I had my review with the council and informed them that according to Bartel that there wouldn't be any, any um, contributions for the next three years projected, you can imagine their response to that was. Oh, I didn't know you had shared that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I understand, but I, I think, you know, given the, the the financial responsibility of the council, that they're they're probably finding other other uses of that money, and I. So, probably something I wouldn't advocate for. To be honest with you. But then again, we saw what zero contributions did for 10 years. If we just if we just made normal contributions during that time period, wonder what yeah. would have changed, you know. And it's really hard in our experience um, once you get to a zero contribution and then, okay, so you've been paying three million a year. If you went, if you were at zero for a while and had to pay a hundred thousand for a year, that would be a big deal. It would be terrible. It would be so hard for people because they're so used to zero. It's like magic being zero to come back to any contribution at all is is distressing. But Don, you know, I mean, just just the three million dollars alone covers seventy five percent of the deficiencies we have in in debt service for this year, right? Right. So I mean, it's not like it's going to be uh, used for extraneous uses, but that's that's just I you know I, I see both sides of the coin. To be honest with you, I mean I understand that once you stop paying, you start paying again. It's going to be catastrophic, you know, for people. Uh oh, we're all of a sudden having to pay. But you know, I mean, you, you're the budget gal. I mean. Well, you know, we were just thinking it was a good opportunity to bring down the discount rate and go a little more conservative given, you know, I actually believe we're down to two actives now, you know, so there's not a lot of money going in and, and the plan is really on its downslope and we really can't afford to lose what's in there. And so, but in order to bring that down, it means we have to contribute something and that's, uh, you know, obviously I mean, a discussion. At the current, and Stacey can speak to this, I mean, even if, if we move money into to the fixed side of the, the, the uh, asset allocation, we're still not getting anywhere near 5 or 6%, so we're still going to have a heavy equity position. So I, don't, I, I can't see our, our strategy being that conservative than it is, currently is. And Stacey, you can speak to that because there's just not enough yield out there to... Right. I mean, if... if, if if interest rates were back to you know the the pre two thousands when they were five and six percent, yeah, it'd be, I'd I'd advocate that's a slam dunk if that's all the way to the moon that we you know we go back to our seventy percent fixed income and our thirty percent equity that you know was there when I started eighteen years ago, but you're just not going to find any any value in the in the fixed income market that's going to get you. You're still going to have to be overweight equities. Is that right, Stacy? Yeah, I would just add that, you know, the 20-year Treasury rate right now is at 2%. Um, so you'll pick up a little bit for assuming the risk of buying a corporate bond, but you're not going to get another 300 basis points to, to yeah, so, go into yeah. a, a 
you know, fairly high rated corporate, um, getting five or 6% into the fixed income and really beefing up the weight there is just, is not possible in this current environment. So it's not going to change our investment strategy much, whether we go to five to 6%, we're not going to go, it's not going to change, be us more conservative to be honest with you. So. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So that was what we really wanted to um, to tell you was to talk about the opportunity to make the fund more conservative. Um, if you didn't, if you definitely were not considering that at all, if you wanted to stay where you were, you could consider not making the contribution that was scheduled for the current year. Um, because obviously when we projected that contribution a year ago, uh, we had no idea what was gonna happen to the assets this year. I, I, I tend to agree with what Don was saying. I think it is a, a monthly uh, uh, journal entry, I think, Don. Yeah, I think we do. you do move money monthly into this. I think the, the contribution is split into 12 months. And it, sounds... if, it's, if it's budgeted and it's partway in for the year, it's probably a done deal and you don't wanna mess with it. Which might make it even easier to drop, you know, uh, de-risk your fund a little bit and drop the discount rate if that's what you decide to do. Just a little bit more cushion. Yeah. Okay, those were, that's the end of what we really wanted to um, present to the board for this report. Um, I'm happy to answer further questions and if not, we can move on really quickly and talk about Gatsby. Do we have any other questions? I'm looking at the agenda. No, good discussion. No other questions. Okay, we'll need to, let's pass this one out and then we'll go on to item number seven. So um, we'll need a, uh, for item number eight, we'll need a motion and a second for um, uh, item number eight. I'll make a motion. I'll second. All right, we have a motion and a second. Is there any public comments on this item, item number eight? Chair, there are no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment. All right. Thank you very much. Then we can take this to a vote. Thank you. I have a motion by Member Colville and a second by Member Holm. Board Member Colville? Yes. Board Member Holm? Yes. Vice Chair Bader? Yes. And Chair Leon? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. All right. We're on to item number seven. Okay, we're, we're pulling up the sharing screen. Um, and this one's gonna go really quickly. So this is the Gatsby 68 report that um, talks about the numbers the city's gonna report in the financial statements at June 30th, 2021. Um, it's based on the same actuarial valuation. Let me scroll me down a little bit more, a couple more pages. Uh, um, and the, go up, sorry, the difference right here. The difference is that um, for accounting purposes, you're required to use the market value of assets. None of the actuary smoothing methods allowed. So um, we use the actual full market value of assets, $311 million, and you'll show that the plan is overfunded by $28.8 million at June 30th of 2021. So you'll have actually a net pension asset instead of a net pension liability. Uh, and then down to wherever we do income expense, I think we went up. 
sorry. Mm-hmm. Can do pension income. The only other thing that that gets reported that's is the um, pension. It's right here. Um, normally, you would have a net pension expense being reported for the year, but because of the good asset return this year, the city's actually going to report a net pension income for the year. And that's really just an accounting thing. Um, pension expense doesn't have anything at all to do with cash anymore. And pretty clearly, if you're reporting pension income, it doesn't mean you should be taking money out of the fund. Um, it's just sort of a balancing item in the accounting. Um, so the biggest, really the biggest issue that happens when you become overfunded and have pension income is that you have to worry about all your signs getting messed up and doing the accounting because they're all backwards from what they normally are. But other than that, it's a really great result again. And there isn't much more to say about it, but I'm happy to answer questions if there are any. Sounds like a minor detail to be in such a good condition, right? Yes, <laughs> a, good, a good issue to have. <laughs> Do we have any other questions on this item? All right, I'm not seeing any. Um, do we have any members of the public, Madam Clerk, that have comments on this item? Chair, there are no members of the public with their hands raised to make comment. All right, we'll need a motion in a second on item number seven. Make a motion to move item seven. I can second that. Okay, thank you. We have a motion by Vice Chair Bader and a second by Chair Leone. Board Member Colville? Yes. Board Member Holm? Yes. Vice Chair Bader? Yes. And Chair Leone? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you all. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We have item number nine to go, which is the uh, meeting schedule for 2022. Um, I think all we need to do is pass a motion on that one. Uh, there's no, no nobody presenting. So, do we have a motion for the calendar, the schedule for 2022? Yeah, motion approved. All right. <laughs> You're not even gonna be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second it, so I'll be here. <laughs> so, we have any uh, comments, Madam Clerk, on the calendar? There are no members of the public with hands raised, Chair. All right, and so we'll take this to a vote. Thank Wait, you. Do we need to take this vote? Yes. Uh, yes, we do need to take this vote. Yes. Thank you. We have a motion by Board Member Holm and a second by Board Member Colville. Board Member Colville? Yes. Board Member Holm? Yes. Vice Chair Bader? Yes. And Chair Leon? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. All right. Thank you very much. And so that just leads to questions, or I'll say comments. Um, I'll lead it off and say this is my last meeting. And so. You know, six years it. in. I doubt it. <laughs> I thought I'd term out. And so <laughs> as long as it took to fill David's seat, um, I think you're you can still sit there until he gets filled, I believe. Is that correct? Yay. <laughs> you, let, you, uh, uh, you might be here for another two years. Who knows? <laughs> that is too funny. Well, I was a little sad, but I'd be happy to stay. So you let me know, or do I just get an email? And then that, that's gonna be my no. <laughs> you just nominated you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, unless you fall off the face of the earth like David did, we can't even reach him, so that, that is true. I wonder what happened to that guy. <laughs> well, well, you let me know, but I'm happy to serve. It's been a pleasure uh, regardless. I just wanted to make that comment. Um, uh, anybody else have any comments for the good of the order? 
Thanks, All right. Man. Well, everyone have a happy and safe holiday and Thanksgiving's next week. And so be safe and, and take care, everyone. You happy holidays. Too. Thank, Thank you. Good seeing everybody. Right. Good seeing you, Annie. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.